Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Ashley Winstead is the author of The Last Housewife. This was guest hosted by Juliana Goldman. Ashley is the author of In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife, The Last Housewife, and Fool Me Once. She has a PhD in English and lives with her husband and two cats in Houston, Texas. Ashley Winstead, author of The Last Housewife, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So the Washington Post described The Last Housewife as deliciously unputdownable, and I 100% concur. So tell us about The Last Housewife, what it's about. Yeah, thank you. And I call The Last Housewife alternately my cult revenge book and my rage novel because I had some some rage to expel, which I think probably comes through in the page. But it is a book that opens with a woman named Shay DeRoy. She's newly married, newly unemployed, should be working on her first novel. And instead, she's doing a little lounging around Press's play on the latest episode of her favorite true crime podcast and discovers that her college best friend is the victim who's at the heart of this latest episode. 
her body has been found on their old college campus. And if that's not shocking and devastating enough to Shay, she realizes quickly that the manner in which her, her old best friend Laurel's body has been found almost exactly mirrors the way another woman's body was found on their college campus eight years ago. So Shay realizes that she might be the only person who's holding a lot of keys to this kind of puzzle of Laurel's death, how Laurel died. And she does what she once vowed she'd never do, which is go back to her old college hometown and start unraveling the threads of her friend's life since she last saw her. And it leads to, you know, darker and darker circles of hell, I guess is one way to put it. Yeah. So that that's it in a nutshell. I found myself, I responded to a text while I was reading it. And I, I feel like the way I wrote the text was kind of creepy. And I was like, oh God, I'm getting, <laughs> I'm, in I'm, like, I'm in deep. I need yeah. to take a step back. <laughs> but you you said this was your your book about cult revenge and to channel channel the rage. Tell us yeah. where that comes from and, and why. Yeah, so two separate things kind of came together for me in writing this book and figuring out what I was going to do with this second thriller of mine. And the first thing was I have wanted for so long to write a thriller slash horror story, because I think this book kind of is is on the edge of those two genres, about the experience of being a woman in the world. Uh, simply, I think that that is unfortunately fodder for a horror story. Just the, the kind of fear that a lot of women feel simply leaving their, their home at night and walking out in the world in the dark. So I've had that idea in the back of my mind for a long time. And it wasn't until I got really in deep, talk about falling in deep into a rabbit hole with the the plethora of cult documentaries that came out like a year or two, maybe two years ago, particularly about the Nexium cult. I, I watched all of those, went down a rabbit hole reading and researching about Nexium and also the Sarah Lawrence sex cult story really caught my eye, though at the time it hadn't received a ton of coverage the way Nexium did. Something about those two cults felt really modern and different to me different from cults I was used to reading about, like a religious sect somewhere in the rural wild. These were these were cults operating right under the surface of society. You know, they were sex cults. They were founded on patriarchal ideologies. And yet you had all of these women who, you know, had financial capital or social capital, heiresses and actresses in some cases with, with Nexium and college students with the Sarah Lawrence case, these women handing over their power and autonomy you know, and and swallowing wholesale these really old ideas about what it means to be a woman in the world. I was just fascinated, like, why in 2022 is that still so salient and attractive to, to women? And those two ideas, all of a sudden I had this lightning bolt moment where I, I realized, oh my God, there's something about being a woman in the world, the horror of that, and also the way you're conditioned to make yourself small in so many cases, to hand over power and autonomy in really subtle and insidious ways that maps onto the extreme experience of like being in a cult and handing over power that way. So once I realized that connection, like the last housewife just unspooled out of me, really. How quickly did it take you to write? 
I think the first draft was like under three months, wow. um, which I was working full time at the time. You were working full time. I was, yeah. As in what capacity? So I worked as a communications director for a like political, progressive political philanthropy, the Arnold Arnold Ventures. If if you're uh-huh. familiar, probably not. They're based here in Texas, New York, and DC. So I was doing that full time, which was very demanding time wise. And then every hour I could get free writing. So two questions from that. Okay, demanding time wise, but also like the emotional, I I would imagine like the emotional trauma in some ways of writing something like that. How did you block off like the writing from like the professional you and the world outside of, of this novel? I don't know that I did a very good job doing that, to be completely honest with you. And I feel like both my my writing world when writing this book and my professional, you know, day job, professional world fed each other because, you know, I, I joined this organization in 2016. Um, the world was looking very different politically and scary to me. And a lot of the things that I was working on were trying to restore reproductive healthcare access for women uh, across the country and studying, you know, reproductive care deserts in different states and and just, you know, working on the the kind of policy and, and research of that, among other things. And so I think like the the rage and fear and helplessness that I was feeling in in doing that work fed the last housewife in a lot of ways. And I think there's, you know, I was having a conversation with myself really about if you can't in this book, if you can't, if there's no way to topple the patriarchy, you know, through policy or law or, or diplomacy or grassroots or all of these like nice, you know, nonviolent ways, like what are you left with other than cutting off the head? Sorry. No, no. no spoilers. <laughs> but you also wrote this. I mean, we're talking about this in a post-row world. Yeah. And you wrote it you pre-row. Know, pre-row. Or, yeah. Wall or, row was yeah. still. Yeah. Um, land. How do you see this book in that context? It's so interesting to me because I actually remember having, and again, I'll try to uh, do a delicate dance around spoilers. There's a moment in The Last Housewife where the true scope of this underground society of men is revealed and they're, you know, like how high their membership and tentacles kind of reach. And part of it is into the political world. And I remember my editor kicked the manuscript back to me with a note like, do you think this is really plausible? Do you think that this, it could really go this high or like, you know, this, this would be allowable. And I remember having to defend myself and feeling really secure in it because of my work, you know, in my day job and saying like, yes, yes. And And then, I mean, here we are a year later or so from this conversation and already Roe v. Wade is overturned and it's like the Supreme Court, (laughs) you know, you can make speculations about certain members, possible participation in a group. I know that's a salty thing to say, but it just, so it really, I've had this like kind of horrific experience of watching real life creep closer and closer 
to this world that I set up in the book. I don't think it's unfair to say that, you know, if you look at the last five years or so, we've all lived through a lot that none of us expected to see in our lifetime. Like no matter where you are on the the political spectrum. Yep. I completely Um, agree. You've mentioned the word power a lot. Mm -hmm. And I really think that was such a fascinating theme that you explored throughout the book, the power of beauty, the power dynamics within within a marriage, within a relationship, Mm -hmm. within society. I want to like kind of touch on each of those, but first, like let's talk about the power the power of in beauty. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shay, the main character, is former Miss Texas. Can you talk a bit about that theme and how you explored it in the book? Yeah, so that's always been something that I'm really, really interested in. That has really occupied a lot of my time, just because I am I am so interested in women and and kind of exploring and dissecting women intimately in my books. And beauty is a thing that is such a power or is felt as such a power for women. Growing up, I remember thinking like, if only I can be beautiful, that, you know, that'll be like a thing that I can fall back on, you know, or like beauty is this power that you're taught, that you're a thing that you're taught is a power that you can hold on to when you walk into the room. And I think beauty is particularly attractive as a power to people who don't have other means of power. So for example, growing up, you know, I come from a sincerely working class family who um, we did not have much of anything. I was the first person in my, my family to go to college. And I remember so many times feeling like, okay, you know, if nothing else in this, I, be, I belong in this room um, with these people who have so much more than me because I, I maybe I can I've dressed well and put my makeup on well today and you know I can I can pass with beauty as a power and so I really wanted to explore with Shay she is like extremely beautiful the way that I imagined her and she also has grown up without money without a supportive family infrastructure around her without a lot of support from teachers or you know other mentors and so she kind of quickly finds that beauty is the thing that she can rely on is like maybe the only power she has but of course like the insidious thing about that is it's a pow- it's double edged sword it's right. a, a power and a danger because the same attention that she attracts for being beautiful, principally from men in her like small Texas hometown, is the same thing that makes the attention makes her vulnerable. It requires her giving something over to them and being at their command. And so that's something that she wrestles with as she grows older. And it's this kind of dynamic that actually makes her vulnerable and prey to Dawn later. And also the way in which Dawn tries to strip her of that, that power. There was a scene again, I don't think it's not a spoiler, but where he says to her, you know, you look, you look really beautiful with blonde hair. And then at the next time she sees him, he, she has a blonde hair and he doesn't say anything. And she noticed that he doesn't say anything. And like, it brought me back to something with a former boss where they made some comment on my appearance and 
I went, you know, I was not even 20 at the time and I mm-hmm. went and I changed it and, you know, it wasn't recognized and thinking like, oh, what does this mean? It was, it was so relatable and also haunting in how relatable it was. Like, especially I think post Me Too, we've, yeah. we've looked back at interactions, times in our life where we just sort of accepted ways that we were talked to or treated. And that's been flipped on its head now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because... Even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. I love that you say that because so much of the, I couldn't agree more. And thank you for sharing that. And so much of this book has been inspired by me looking back with a new lens at my life. And thinking like, oh my God, look how much of me has been shaped in ways that I didn't even realize by these dynamics. Yeah, no, totally. And and, in ways that I don't blame us for not, for not knowing, but, you know, I hope that women growing up today or young girls, like we'll, we'll see the world in a different way and that we'll be teaching them to see it in a different way. So let's talk marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the the power dynamic that you explored with marriage is also so interesting. And the, the connection, the thread th- that Shay has in her relationships that actually ultimately connect 
Don and, and her husband, Cal. Yeah. 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 So I, um, am newly married <laughs> when I started writing this book. Um, and you know, I, I was older when I got married and had spent quite a lot of time on my own. And I think simply was doing a lot of reflecting about the, you know, all of the, the power and autonomy that you maybe give up without even thinking about it simply by being married. And especially for women, you know, as someone who's always considered myself a feminist and, you know, kind of fiercely independent, I had this moment when I realized post-marriage that my husband was, I'd let him make all the spreadsheet, financial spreadsheets and be in charge of all the the finances and know the inner workings of all of that. And I told myself that it was just me like offloading work onto this person. But I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I've put myself in this like kind of, I love my husband, I trust him, but still in this precarious position. Very vulnerable. Yeah, vulnerable. And that's the thing is like, I think there are probably a, a subset of people to whom this might sound sad, but I don't think that women have the luxury of doing that. You know, of like resting comfortably and in, in saying like, oh, this is this is there. I'll let him take care of it. That's just not something that I feel comfortable with. And so I started thinking about, okay, well, it's a slippery slope. Like I let certain things happen. I let him be in charge of certain things, you know, and maybe I could see next year a little bit more and then a little bit more. And the more I started to think about that, to me, it was kind of like the same sort of seductive dance that a cult, <laughs> a cult member might perform with someone that he was, because it's always a he, that he was like slowly luring in. Like, give me just a little bit of your trust and your power. Okay, tomorrow I'll take a little bit more. You're safe in handing it over to me. And this is the kind of dance that Dawn performs. And so I really wanted to kind of marry the the Patter Society, which is this cult in, in the book, to uh, kind of put them on a, a spectrum with traditional heterosexual marriage and think about the ways that patriarchal values like very clearly underpin the Patter Society, but also really are uncomfortably close to a lot of dynamics that people and, and women, you know, kind of I've witnessed, you know, are comfortable operating within the confines of their own marriage. And maybe this is like my Texas coming out, uh, not to besmirch, you know, tex Texans, but I've just looked at so many friends and acquaintances and looked at their marriages. And again, I like I confess my own and just thought, huh, men are, are really leading here in a way. Yeah. I think the thought that you just articulated, that you put into conceptualizing this on and putting it down into words is uh, one of the reasons why it's such a haunting, a haunting read and why it just sits with you. But in a glass half full kind of you, you also say that this is a romantic novel. Yeah. So tell us, tell us why. So I, I think that 
first of all, no one will accuse me of making all men bad. (laughs) (laughs) Nor, you know, nor do I believe that at all by any means. So we have this wonderful character, Jamie Knight, appropriately named in, in this book. And Jamie is Shay's childhood friend, childhood best friend. He is the host of this true crime podcast that she loves listening to. He's the one who kind of uncovers and is fascinated by the circumstances of Laurel's death because he knows that Laurel has a connection to Shay, this friend he's been estranged from, and he is the one who agrees to help Shay, you know, with this project of investigating. So to me, I call this a romantic book because over the course of Jamie interviewing Shay for his podcast, you know, there's not, it's not only an arc of, of horror, you know, kind of like a horrific revelation of, you know, Shay's past and what she's experienced, but it's also, I hope that the reader can see the revelation of Jamie and Shay's kind of long buried, repressed feelings for one another coming to the surface. And I think Jamie is one of the most romantic men that I've written so far. And I write romance novels too. And still he kind of takes the cake. And to me, it's because he, uh, I'll just give this spoiler away, but he loves Shay, not in a perfect way, no one's perfect, but so profoundly, despite and, and with all of her trauma and her flaws, she can, she strips down to her most naked self and shows it to him. And he accepts her and values her and is right by her side and and lets her lead always, always taking her lead. And to me, that is, you know, the kind of most romantic version of a partner I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have that here as a counterweight to the darkness. And it works beautifully. (laughs) Thank you. And, And also the way that you write those scenes where you change the narration. So it is Shay talking in first person as though it were the podcast. Um, And uh, it just, it makes this for an even more dynamic read. As a reader, have you always gravitated toward crime fiction? Is that what's on your nightstand right now? I have, I read everything everything under the sun I devour. I am such a voracious reader and always have been. So it's crime fiction, it's romance, it's lit fic, it's nonfiction. It's just, yeah, everything, everything that piques my interest, which probably explains why as a writer, I genre so much (laughs) too, because it's just, uh, yeah. What are some of um, like three great books that you've recently read? Oh my gosh. Okay. So this, this is like my favorite thing to do is talk about other people's amazing work. So I am truly obsessed with May Cobb's My Summer Darlings that came out this summer. It is her crime fiction take on the witches of Eastwick, Mm. like the premise of a dark and mysterious man coming to town to kind of like unsettle the lives of these three women. And it is juicy and sexy and dark. And I just absolutely loved it. And to kind of switch genres, I loved the very irregular society of witches Okay. If that is, if I'm, or it's the secret society of very irregular witches, the title is escaping me, but it's just the most heartwarming, lightly romantic, like story of, of witches. 
England and it's just like so charming. And what else have I loved recently? Oh my gosh, this isn't out until March. I, I usually read a lot of things that aren't out yet for blurb purposes and, and things like that. But I love it when you lie by Kristen Bird is somewhere in between a family drama and a murder mystery. It's set in Tennessee the Southern family, and it opens with these three proper Southern women standing over a grave, shoveling dirt into it. And mm-hmm. so then it kind of like spools back quickly to figure out who it is and how they got there. Fantastic. Oh, these all sound great. And I love that they all explore, they're all about women and, oh, always. Um, and exploring yeah. relationships there. And what about you? What's next for you? I have two books coming out next year. Oh my God, um, you are a machine. <laughs> I, I I don't know why I do this to myself, but I just can't stop. Um, I can't put a like stopper on my brain, I guess. But yeah, I have a romance novel coming out, contemporary romance novel coming out in spring of next year. And then my next thriller will be out in fall of next year. So The romance novel is called The Boyfriend Candidate. It's a companion novel to my first contemporary rom-com. So it follows the younger sister of the main character of that book. And it is a fake dating comedy, romantic comedy set in the world of Texas politics, like the first Mm. um, romance. So I I love that. It's about as tender and soft as The Last Housewife is dark. (laughs) Because I wrote it right after Housewife. So I needed like the switch for my my brain and then midnight is the darkest hour is my thriller in coming out in the fall and it is a louisiana it's a magical romantic dark thriller set in a small town louisiana bayou Um, setting so do you take time off in between writing i don't it is just pure production schedules. It is like bouncing from one right into the other. Wow. Do you start to think about the next one as you're finishing up? Oh, absolutely. Last, uh-huh. Yeah. It's um, hard to wrangle my brain actually. So my brain will already start going into the next book and I have to constantly yank it back to the current project. How do you decompress? Like how do you clear, clear the headspace? I think it really is I, I, get, I decompress a lot consuming other people's art. Mm-hmm. It's both decompressing and inspiring to me. So I'll, I'll finish a book and think like, oh man, I need a few days. And then I'll watch some incredible movie or read someone's incredible novel. And I'll, I'll just think to myself, oh no, okay, this I'm full of so many ideas. Let's get right back to work. <laughs> so um, that's usually how it works for me. But I actually think the genre switch up that I do between every book because I I never write two books in the same genre in a row. That does a lot of work decompressing for Mm -hmm. me. Well, (laughs) Ashley Wynn said, author of The Last Housewife, thank you for this. It's a a fascinating, unputdownable read to quote the Washington Post and just it, it sticks with you. So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You bet. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.